Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What's the biggest lie you've ever told? Think about it. What's the biggest lie you've ever told? You don't have to confess it. I'm not going to confess it to you. But if we think about that, we have a little bit of framework for what's going on today. Did you do it knowingly? Or were you confused when you did it? As we look at the scripture texts today, we move from Trinity Sunday talking about the triune God to the kingdom of God. And you'll notice that there's a change in the way some things look in the church. For example, we go to the green. One friend of mine in college that grew up Episcopalian used to say, ah, the long season of green. But you know what? Part of the blessing of the season of Pentecost or Trinity Tide, or as some churches call it, Kingdom Tide, is that we don't have the big feasts or the large um, high, what we sometimes call here is high mass or festal Eucharists going on. Because we're kind of digging in to one of the Gospels and growing and learning together. And the whole first half of the church year deals with the big, the big events of Christ. And the second half of the church year, from here onward, all the way to Advent, we're dealing with the teachings about the kingdom of God. Going through the teachings of Jesus Christ, going through the Gospels, looking at what is it that we as Christians, as his followers, are supposed to look like. What is it that the church is supposed to look like? And then, of course, we have to ask the question, are we measuring up? And you know what the answer usually is? No. No. Thank God for his grace that even though we don't measure up, we get new starts, new mercies every day. And so we're entering into kingdom tide. And as we enter into that period of the church year, we look at the various stories and teachings of Jesus in the gospel. And I want to highlight three things today. Number one, ask yourself about God's motive. Number two, what is God's way? And number three, what is God's will? God's motive, God's way, and God's will. Because I think we see those three things not just in the gospel text, but in all of the texts that go on today. First of all, what's God's motive for anything? Why create why do anything? I was listening to WCRF this week, as I sometimes do, and um, one of the call-in shows, a caller called in and asked the, the pastor, why does God have angels? If God can do anything, why doesn't God just accomplish it by his own will? Of course, we could go continue down that road, right? We could say, why does God ask us to pray? Why does God have us do anything? And it's a wonderfully American question, right? It's very practical. Why do anything 
that is beyond the practical, streamlined, and efficient? Why go beyond the pragmatic? Sometimes I get that question about liturgy. Why do we have to do all this stuff? Isn't it enough just to worship God? Well, yes, of course it's enough to worship God. But you're looking at it from the wrong way. God creates out of purely delight and love and goodness. And so he asks us to return to him worship out of delight, beauty, and goodness. As we look at the texts today, I want to start with a quote from preeminent Anglican theologian Richard Hooker, who you may or may not be familiar with. He wrote in the 1600s, he actually wrote in the 1500s, he died in the 1600s. And he says this about God's motive. The general end of God's external working is the exercise of his most glorious and abundant virtue, which abundance doth show itself in variety and oftentimes in scripture expressed by the name riches. The Lord hath made all things for his own sake, not that anything is made to be beneficial unto him, but that all things for him show beneficence and grace. And you're going to hear me use those words throughout this sermon. Beneficence and grace. What Hooker is here saying is that in God's creation, while everything makes sense, nothing is practical. Nothing is practical. Because there's no need to create anything. There's no need to, for God to have created this world, to have created us. There's no need for God to come and redeem us when we messed up in our first parents, Adam and Eve. There's no need or practicality in God sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. That's not the most efficient way. If, if God were to be the most efficient and practical, he wouldn't have created to begin with. Think about it. It's Father's Day, right? Some of you are fathers. We have sons and daughters. Was that always the most practical and efficient choice that you made in your life? Now, certainly there's blessings. Certainly there's all sorts of good things. But is that the most streamlined way to live your life? No, but you do it out of goodness and out of grace. And in that sense, our fatherhood participates in God's fatherhood in how he made us. Beneficence and grace. That's God's motive or end. If we look at the Old Testament lesson that was read by Phil earlier today out of Exodus, we see that story told at least 5,000 years ago with the Hebrew people. By Exodus 19, God has led his people free of Egypt and their slave masters. You know the story, right? Through the Red Sea, across the desert, they were led in Exodus 13 through 17 by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night. They're fed in the wilderness. Bread drops from heaven to provide for them. They're given water out of a rock in the desert. God's paternality, his provision his love for his people. And we get to this reading in Exodus 19. God's people are gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai 
and God speaks to them. And that's where our passage picks up. So if you have your insert there with you, you can take a look at, this, at the reading with me or in your Bibles. It's Exodus chapter 19. Look at verse 4. What does God say to his people? He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what does God call his people? A chosen people. Verse 5, a treasured people. Verse 6, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Why does God do this? What is practical about this? Answer, nothing. Nothing. There's nothing Efficient about God's choosing the Hebrew people to be his people. In fact, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, he says, don't think that I you know, chose you because you're so great or so great in number because you're not. In fact, among all the nations of the earth, perhaps they were the most humble. But he does so out of goodness. And he makes a covenant with them and he calls them his people as a father. Why make them into this? Why give them something greater than they are? Beneficence and grace. You know, we've been talking about manifesting God and sharing the news of Jesus since Easter, talking about how Jesus has risen from the dead. But the first thing we have to do if we're to do that is to demonstrate who God is. Many don't think that God's motive is goodness and grace, or beneficence and grace, do they? Think about that. When you go out into the world, what do people think of when they think God? Go ahead. What, do you, what do you, have you run into? General concepts about God. What do they think about when they think of God? Judgment, okay. D distance. Uh, they question his existence, that he doesn't exist, or assert that he doesn't exist. Yeah? Spiritual being. Something they can't see, something intangible. Yeah? But how do they look at his motives? Do most people see God's motive as good? Most people don't think that far. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Many think of him as judgmental, though, if they think that far, or they think of him as controlling, or I've even run into people that think of God as playfully sadistic, like, you know, he gives me this and then takes it away because it makes him happy that I'm suffering. I, I mean, I know that's twisted, but, you know, that's more prevalent than you think, or that God is up there watching us as a giant chess game and it's completely indifferent. Have you ever seen um, one of my favorite Far Side cartoons? Not for its uh, theological truth, but it's just funny. There's um, this Far Side cartoon, and it's a picture of a computer screen. 
and there's a piano hanging over this guy who's walking down the sidewalk. And looking at the computer screen is this person that's made to look like God. And he's got his finger above a key that says on it, smite. Have you ever seen that one? And so he's looking at the screen like this. With his finger over the word smite. That's not who God is at all. That's not who God is at all. Funny as a cartoon as, as it is. Rather, he's beneficent and great and full of grace. And he chose this people out of mankind because he chooses to covenant with us and save us. But notice, in the Old Testament reading, the Hebrew people tell the biggest lie ever. Didn't think I was going to come back to it so fast, did, did you? They tell the biggest lie ever. Did you catch it? What's the lie that they tell to Moses? Yeah, exactly. Bob, you've got it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yes, of course. Exodus 32. What's that? Well, yeah, if, 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 if good intentions were enough, right? Yeah. Exodus 32, we find them worshiping a golden calf after being given to the ten, given the Ten Commandments got by God. And we see right away, are they consistent in their obedience? Do they trust God's goodness? Do they trust his beneficence and grace? No. They say, you know what? It's not going my way. To heck with that. Let's build this golden bull out of all of our excess jewelry. And maybe that will save us. That's their obedience to God. But at the same time, God knows that keeping the law is not going to keep his people in covenant with him. And I think that that's something that we as Christians also have to communicate to the world. That while the law and the rules and morality is important, it's not the most important thing. Thank God. For if it were, we would all be damned. If it were, we would all be damned because none of us measure up to the Ten Commandments. That's why we say and confess every week that we don't live up to them. So secondly, we come to God's way. God's motive is beneficence and grace. What is God's way for a disobedient people? A people that are continuously rebellious against him. How can a people who lie to God be his treasured possession? How can a people that continually lie to their father be his treasured possession? The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is that no other God has died for your sins. The answer is that no other God takes his people, instructs them to be holy, and expects them to fail, and sends Jesus Christ to them. You see, no other religion does that. All other religions say, if you do this, this, and this, you may be presentable before the Almighty God. But Jesus comes and makes that peace on our behalf. Jesus comes and takes the um, fruit 
of rebellion upon himself. And that's what the Romans passage is looking at. So if you want to turn with me to the Romans passage, which is Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We see this beautiful explanation of God's way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Stop right there. So do you see where other religions say, here, follow these steps, be good. What does St. Paul say to those that accept Christ Jesus? You have been justified. You have peace with God. It's not like you work out your whole life and try to earn God's favor. And you know that old saying at the end of life, have you made peace with your master? For you as a Christian, you have made peace with God. When you became part of the church, when you accepted Christ, when you were baptized, when you professed Christ as your Savior and Lord, you were immediately justified before God and given peace before Him. That's why we don't live as a people of fear. We live as a people of grace and beneficence. Not because of our own, but because of God's. Sometimes we forget that as Christians, that we have the way in a person, that Jesus is the way for us and for all that will come to him. Christianity rests entirely on the beneficence and goodness of God who sends his son, who is also, by the way, full of beneficence and grace. So when we run into people out in the world who think that they're good enough to stand before God, we can say, well, you might think that, but God does not think that. And he staked his life on it and point to Jesus Christ. You're not good enough, and guess what? Neither am I. And when we run into people in the world who think that they're too bad to approach God, who think that they could never make up for something that they did in their past, for people that are caught and some sort of sinful behavior. You can look at that person too and say, well, you might think that, that you're too terrible to stand before God. But guess what? God doesn't think that. And he staked his life on it and point to Jesus Christ. We as Christians do not believe a system of religion, although religion is part of what we do. We as Christians believe in a man who was the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why after confession every week, we hear the comfortable words. Come to me all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Finally, we look at God's will. And we see in the gospel reading, what is God's will for his people? In Matthew 9.35, he calls the 12 apostles. He sends them first to the lost sheep of Israel in 10.6. 
and he sends them to proclaim the kingdom of God, to show forth the kingdom of God in action. It's God's will that everyone choose to enter into the kingdom of God, friends, because this is what he created us to be, a treasured possession, a people of his own, a kingdom of priests that worship him and delight in him. In short, God's will for his kingdom is Psalm 100. Oh, be joyful, all ye nations. Oh, be joyful, all ye peoples. So where do we fit in that? Well, it starts by communicating God's motive and then communicating God's way and then communicating God's will. And you know what? I know that it's hard to be rejected. I think that's one thing that millennials, people younger than myself and me, struggle with, the idea of rejection. But in the gospel, we're promised that we'll be rejected. Do you see that? What does Jesus say? Shake off the dust from your feet and continue on proclaiming. Because it's not your responsibility whether people choose to be part of God's treasured possession or not. It's not my responsibility that someone comes to know Jesus. It's my responsibility to preach him. It's your responsibility to live with him and talk about him and tell others about him. And we can't control what they do with it. It's just ours to be faithful and proclaim. Will you do that with me as we go through this kingdom tide, as we look at the texts, as we go through this hot summer, not lose sight of the fact that the kingdom of God has started because Jesus is here and you, friends, are part of that beachhead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you didn't do the most practical thing or the most efficient thing. We thank you that you created us. What an act of love. And then you didn't leave us to be stuck in our sin, but sent your Son, Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ. And now that, you don't, now that we are commissioned to go out and be your kingdom, you don't leave us as orphans either, but have sent your Holy Spirit. Help keep us strong. Give us boldness. Help us to follow you and show forth your kingdom in this world. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.